welcome to the Wrestling Heroes and Insiders Podcast, aka The Whip Show. Your co-hosts, Deshaun Whip Dog Whipple and Devastating Daryl Pace, each and every week will bring in some of the top pro wrestlers from around the world. I'm talking WWE, WCW, Impact Wrestling, NWA, and more. So sit back, get your favorite drink, and listen to some great stories told by those amazing and sometimes crazy pro wrestling superstars. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Wrestling Heroes and Insiders Podcast, a.k.a. The Whip Show. Yes, we are back for another edition, another king-sized edition, uh, 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 a star-making edition today. But as always, guys, I want to thank you for checking us out each and every week. Thank you for going back and listening to all those episodes we've had. You know what we've had on the show. We've had Vince Russo. We've had Michael Riker from Busted Open Radio. We've had Gilbert. Uh-oh, I said Russo. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Anyway. Oh, Lord, <laughs> cool with me. Cool with me. I'm being silly, man, but you heard his voice. You heard his voice. But, guys, one more thing before I bring my great guest on. As you know, the Whip Show Podcast Network has been growing. We actually added two new podcasters to the network. So go back and check out old what's-his-face, the coach. Check out the coach's corner. You know what's on every single Thursday. And check out the debuting railing with world heavyweight champion, Mr. Joe Walker. Another great new podcast to the Whip Show Network. Now, with that being said, I got all that part out the way. It's time to talk to my guy um let me tell you something if you don't know about this guy you don't know about professional wrestling this man has made stars he has worked with some of the biggest names in the world of professional wrestling and he's a king i want to bring to the stage right now the star maker kenny king bowling how you doing today man I'm doing marvelous. Hell, with an introduction like that, I should just uh, log on off and go go back to sleep or something. Oh man! Stop. My God, that's a hell, that's a hell of an introduction there. I'm trying to bring the energy, so I'm up there with you. There's man. a lot of energy, and I am lacking energy today. It's been a rough three days, and my energy level's been a little down. But you're pumping me up a little bit, so let's. Um, uh, and you gave me an opportunity to cancel the show tonight. Uh, you knew I'd had a rough three days. This, that, and the other has been one thing. Uh, I had a podcast earlier today where I was supposed to have Anthony Scaramucci on and he got sick. So, uh, oh, man. you know, so we got to reschedule that for next week. So I ended up doing, I think 20 minutes, uh, by myself and we still made $150 in donations in 20 minutes. So, so not, not too bad. Not too bad. See, that's why you're a star maker, man. Not, I was today. <laughs> always making it happen, man. Now, Kenny, Kenny, Kenny. You've been in the business for many years, man. Like November, I, I, November of 1987 was day one when I officially got in working for Nick Gula. So it's been quite some time, man. And how do you remember that exact date, man? Because uh, I, I was so thrilled to be in. I don't know if I remember the exact. I think the exact date that we recorded the interview with Nick Gulas and George Gulas, I could be wrong, but it's on YouTube. It's easy enough to find. Just find, just type in Kenny Bolin and Nick Goulas, but I think it was November 27th of 1987. I could be off a few days on that. I am old. I'm 62 years old. Look at this hair though. Russo would kill. 
Russo would kill to have this hair. This is true, man. This is true. But, I was going to say 62 years young. Come on, man. No, well, well, in many days I feel 62 years young. Today, I don't know. It's uh, I'll be I'll be I'll be hitting the bed like old people tonight. I should uh, be in bed before midnight tonight. Long as you take a cocktail with you before you go to sleep. Then, then again, I woke up at four thirty this morning, so Ooh. woke up like an old person today too. So, Lord, so Kenny, you talked yes. about starting in eighty seven, man. Mm-hmm. As I always like to ask my guests before we really get into the meat of things, right? What, what was your grab? What made Kenny Bolden say, "I want to be in the professional wrestling world"? Oh, it's very easy. Uh, in 1974 is uh, when I first actually got to meet Jerry Lawler in person. And uh, he was not even known as the king yet. Uh, I've told this story on a few other shows before, but he wasn't the king yet. It was Jerry Lawler and Jim White with manager Sam Bass. He had not started the king gimmick yet. And um, I used to wait out in the back alley hoping to get to meet him. And Jim White didn't really talk to me, who I actually became very dear friends with later in life before he passed away. And then uh, Jerry Lawler would never speak to you because he was the ultimate heel. He did not associate with the fans. But every now and then, Sam Bass, the manager, would stop and talk. So Jimmy Hart, of all people, who was not a manager yet, Jimmy Hart used to travel with Lawler to to a lot of the shows. And he noticed that I was the only one in the crowd out of 5,000 people that rooted for Jerry Lawler. The only reason I went to the Louisville Gardens is I liked the bad guy, Jerry Lawler. And I started going when I was 14 years old. And I guess at about age 15 or 16, Jimmy Hart noticed me in the crowd. And so they they always have an intermission so they can sell their gimmicks and refreshments and all that stuff. So there'd be a couple of intermissions during a wrestling show. So at one of the intermissions, I'm going down and I had to walk right by Jimmy Hart where he was in the exclusive section to where guests and family and friends would sit, which I had not earned my way to be there yet. And um, he's a kid. He's come over here a minute. And I don't know who the hell Jimmy Hart is. I didn't realize he was the guy with Jimmy Hart and the Gentries and hang on Sloopy. I didn't know his name, didn't know who he was. I'd never seen him. And uh, he calls me over. He's, hey, man, he's my name's Jimmy Hart. He says, I'm uh, personal best friends with Jerry Lawler. We went to college together. He said, I noticed you're the only guy in here that roots for him. And he says, those fans give you a lot of shit. I said, I don't care. I'm here to see Jerry the King Lawler, man. I said, I, he said, have you ever got to meet him? I said, well, I actually hang out in the back to meet the wrestlers when they come in. And I said, uh, Al Green has stopped and talked to me a couple of times. I said, Sam Bass has stopped and talked. Jim White, uh, you know, they say hello. I said, Jerry's never talked to me. He said, man, I, he's, I've told Jerry about this crazy guy in the stands that roots for him every week. He says, how'd you like to meet him? I said, hell yeah. I said, that'd be great. He says, I tell you what, when the matches are over, you come right here and meet me. And I'm going to take you backstage and let you meet Jerry Lawler. And I said, man, that's cool as hell. And like I said, he wasn't the king yet. He was not the king. And uh, so he takes me backstage and I meet him and, and Chris, and he was very nice. He signed an eight by 10 photograph for me that he gave me. And, uh, but Christine Jarrett would run in the show and she didn't like fans being backstage under any circumstances. So she yelled at Jimmy Hart, she kind of yelled at Jerry Lawler a little bit for me being back there, told me to get back to the seats where I came from. And I never got backstage again until me and Jimmy Cornette became friends. Uh, he was a photographer and asked, and asked me, what the hell was I thinking? Why are you rooting for law? They're going to kill you, man. And I said, ah, no, I don't care. You know, I'm, I'm here for the King. So Jimmy was a photographer and him and his mother sat front row. And, uh, he said, we don't ever use our seats. He says, mom's always working a concession stand. And he says, I'm taking pictures. He says, how would you like to have our seats? Maybe bring a friend with you. You all can have the front row instead of being all dangerous up there. You'll be protected down here. I said, well, that sounds pretty good. So after meeting Jimmy, they gave me their front row seats. And that's 
kind of eventually led to me getting to go backstage every now and then and holding Jerry Lawler's crown during matches. And Jerry Lawler gave me a ride to the, uh, to the uh, store he used to go to. He used to buy me a big red and a big Mac back in 75, 76, 77. And Jerry and I got to be pretty close, but Jimmy got into business and he assured me that within a few months to a year, I would be in. And that never happened. Uh, seven years go by, I'm still not in the business. And apparently, according to Bill Dundee, Jimmy had never put me over to Jerry Jarrett, Jerry Lawler, or Bill Dundee and let them know that I wanted to be in the business as well. The original plan, because Jimmy wasn't no tough guy, Jimmy wasn't going to beat anybody up. The plan was for him to be a manager and I was going to be a wrestler. And my goal was to be the guy that took the throne once Jerry became the king. And I've told the story uh, many, many times that he stole the, the name king from me because in 1974, I was the king of kickball. And uh, there's some, maybe some truth of that story, maybe some not, but uh, I claimed he stole the title King from me, but he, he's got a podcast he did where he tells the story about how he got the King gimmick from a wrestler named Bobby Shane and Bobby Shane ended, and he gave Lawler the crown and robe and everything to use while he was gone to Australia. But Bobby Shane died in a plane crash. And so Lawler's got a crown and he's got a cape and Bobby ain't going to need it no more. He's dead. And that's about how plainly Lawler told the story. He didn't seem too all broken up about it. Right. So that's how, that's truly how he became the king. But on many podcasts, I've claimed he stole it from me. So at age 62, you know, we're all dropping dead around here like flies these days. So I figure I'm on your podcast, I came clean as Jerry may not have stole it from me. He might not have got it from the king of kickball, but it was about the same time. Y'all heard about the same time. He gave y'all an exclusive already, but that's between us. You got an, you got an exclusive. Yeah. No, no one will see this show. I'm not worried about it. But I, I want to go back and unpack a couple of things that you just said right there. First, is this the longest you've ever had to shut up on a show hearing that long ass story? Oh, is this no. the longest you've ever been silent? Hey, baby, I'm, I'm a student of the game. I'm listening right now. I'm there you go. There you go. But I got to unpack something. You just right. first and foremost, you said when, when, when they took you to the back. At that time, you know how protected wrestling was. Did Very you realize protected. what was going yes. on? Like oh, I knew what was going on. I knew what was going on. I knew I was in a, I was scared to even be back there because I had heard how sacred it was. Jimmy had worked his way back there to take pictures. He was never allowed down in the dressing room. And even he could only be back there exclusively to take pictures. They didn't let him linger around back there, just do whatever he wanted and mess with whoever he wanted. It was still even very strict with him. And, uh, oh no, we knew. And we also knew how hard it was to get in the business. And I thought between knowing Jerry Lawler and Jimmy Cornette being my best friend, we've been childhood friends since 74, um, 75, at least I, uh, was sure that I was going to be in the business a year, no longer than a year. Jimmy would be in the business a year. He'd say, Hey, I got this friend, Kenny, Jerry knows Kenny. He really wants to be in the business. He wants to be a wrestler. Well, after Doing some amateur wrestling. I, I was 212 at Oldham County High. I was never defeated. I wrestled in many different weight classes. Uh, most of them, the heavier weight classes. I didn't wrestle in too many lightweight divisions. And uh, I think I, I think when I graduated high school, I was 212. When I started wrestling in high school, I was 168. So those were the classes that I was in during the four years of wrestling at Oldham County High. So I was a very good amateur wrestling, but, but at Oldham County, what I would have done on a collegiate level, I have no idea. I don't know if I could competed uh, with Kurt Angle and Sly Turkey and these Olympic wrestlers, but I was pretty damn good in the state of Kentucky. Uh, I wrestled all over Kentucky and no one ever beat me. 
And I would even schedule matches with our own wrestlers at Oldham County just to prove to everybody in Oldham County, I'm the king. I am the king. And once Lawler was had a crown, I had a crown. I still got two of them up on top of my monitor here uh, that I've owned since 1979 when I bought my first blue Thunderbird, bought a 79 Thunderbird, and I put two blue crowns in the back of it on a uh, on like, like a little velvet blanket to set on the back dash or the back, uh, whatever you call it. It's not the dash, but whatever you call the back area. And, uh, and the crown set over the speakers to protect the speakers from getting sun bleached. I think I had Craco speakers back then. Now I'm talking, that was 1979. This is the year I graduated high school. And I was convinced in 1976, I was the king. I was going to be the guy that was, I could cut a promo in 76. Uh, I still don't think I do too bad in, at, at age 62. And I was going to be the guy to take Jerry Lawler's place. But as I saw the politics of pro wrestling and the bumps and the seven night schedules, and sometimes you'd work eight shows in seven days. I'm thinking, you know what? That's a lot of, that's a lot of damn bumps. That's a lot of blading. That's a lot, that's a lot of shit. I don't want to do. So I decided I wanted to be a manager. And I think that is what made Jimmy think, you know, uh, there I'm already down here competing with Jimmy Hart and he's got the A shows and I got the B shows downtown Bruno's down here. Various other managers would come through. And last thing I need is Kenny in the mix. Uh, who's not a bad talker. And has a tendency to be able to win people's hearts that maybe Jimmy did not have. And, and Bill Dundee explained it to me best. He did not want your competition. And that's why you, and that's why you waited seven years to get into business. He didn't refer me to Bischoff. He didn't refer me to Vince McMahon. He didn't refer me to Bill Watts or the Von Erics. I didn't get referred to anybody. I mean, he could have referred me somewhere else that he wasn't at, but I guess he didn't want me in the loop at all. And I didn't realize that for a long time. And, um, so if I hadn't bumped into Nick Goulas in a service merchandise, when I was returning a pioneer surround sound receiver, I didn't, I'd have never probably got in wrestling because Jimmy wasn't going to make it happen. Jerry Lawler didn't know I even wanted in. And I was counting on Jimmy to lay the groundwork. I thought he was, uh, laying the groundwork to Jerry Jarrett, Bill Dundee, Jerry Lawler. And Dundee told me, he says, man, if you'd have come to me and I'd have heard how you could talk and known how much you knew about our business before we ever brought you in. He said, shit, you knew more than Cornette about etiquette. You knew how to get along with people. You knew how not to anger. Uh, Jerry Jarrett told me that the reason he hired Cornette as the manager, he said, if he can get as much heat in front of the crowd as he gets backstage, <laughs> you know, he's going to be a great manager. And that's exactly, he, he said it on my show. Um, yeah. Jerry Jarrett said it on my show. If he can get as much heat backstage, half the heat. He yeah. said, if he can get half the heat out there that he gets back here, he's going to be a great manager. He said, but I'm also furious at Jimmy because he never told me about you and the money, the chemistry that you two had, because he had heard all of our podcasts. Mm-hmm. He hosted the great debate, which I guess, if you know anything about me, you've heard the great debate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Jerry Jarrett, after he hosted that debate, he says, I'm furious at Jimmy. He said, can you imagine how much money I could have made with you two? He says, and I wouldn't have had to make either one of you baby face or heel. He said, you could have both stayed heel. The crowd would have hated both of you, but they may have decided to pick one over you or the other. And he says, I think they would have picked Cornette over you. He says, I think you can get more heat than Cornette can. He says, you've got just that natural ability that is as is, is great a heat getter as Cornette is. He plays against you, the better baby face. He says, I've never seen you play baby face with Jimmy. It's always Jimmy playing baby face with you because that's the chemistry that works. So you could have still both been heels but when you two were feuding with each other, they would have rooted for Jimmy over you. So that's how it's always been in podcasting. 
I always took the heel role so Jimmy could be the babyface. And we did the same thing at Ohio Valley Wrestling. I was never the babyface over Jimmy. It was always I was the heel, he was the babyface because that's that's what worked best. Man, man. Well, you already got your first lesson early in your bit in the business about everybody's not as legit and straight up as they say mm-hmm. they're gonna be. From my best friend, <laughs> so they say. So they man, say. Man, So you, you touched on being at OVW. So how did mm-hmm. you end up getting over to OVW? Because you had been doing the thing with the King and everything. How did you actually get over there, man, and work with some of those well, I, I, Of course, I started in Nashville. My first ever pro wrestling match, I managed Tojo Yamamoto against Gypsy Joe. And listen to this shit. I was the ring announcer, the timekeeper, and managed Tojo all in the same night. I had three jobs that night. And um, Tojo went to the back and said, you know, he said, after talking with Kenny and hearing these interviews, and I know he wants to be a manager, he says, why don't you have him manage me in the main event? He says, that way he would have been their ring announcer all night. He time kept the matches that he ring announced. And then all of a sudden, and oh, and by the way, Tojo's special manager tonight, me <laughs> and uh and and gypsy joe would be the baby face and we'd make tojo the heel and uh and this is how little i did know about the business being as i did ring announce being as i did timekeep, and being because i was told i'd get 75 dollars for ring announcing and timekeeping that night all right this is 1987 75 bucks one night's work do that along with my other job yeah i can make all right kroger meat scams factored in and um so I, I did that. So, okay. I did three jobs tonight. So that's 75. That's uh 150. That's 225. They owe me 225. <laughs> that's what I thought. That's what I thought. So I go to the back and uh, they, they hand me the, they didn't even hand me the $75. They told me it was going to be an hour. I said 75. That's why I did three jobs tonight. as a ring announcer, timekeeper. And I managed Tojo. I said, that, that's, that's 225. Oh no, no. You just, no, no. I did three jobs. I get paid three times. Kenny, this is your first night in the business. I said, in the first night in the business, I worked three jobs and I did all three of them well. I'm a pretty damn good ring announcer. I'm a good television commentator, as you've seen in these pre-interviews we've done. And I had a lot of confidence for a guy whose first day is in the goddamn business. And I said, as I showed you, I'm a pretty damn good manager too. I said, I've been studying this business since I was 12 years old. I've been backstage since I was 14, off and on. I know this business. I know how to do it. I'm not your typical Johnny come lately. That'll come in here and pay $50 to be on these shows. I get paid. I bring something to the table. I booked this building in Birmingham, Alabama. I booked the damn building. I, I, I should get a commission off that. I change. I, I should get $300. I should get a commission for booking the damn building. So I'm talking to Nick Goulas, Tojo, Gypsy Joe, whoever will listen. And they tell me, well, I'm going to take $75 and I'm going to like it. And I got to work my way up to the top. I said, I'm at the top. I'm doing Ooh. all the jobs. I booked the building. I booked the building. I managed Tojo. I ring announced. I time keep. I, I'm at the top of it. No one else here did it. No one else here could book the building. No one. So no, no, you're, you're not going to do that to me. First day in the damn business. So they tell me well, I need to come to Nick's house to get paid. So I go to Nick's house and I had to make three trips to his house. And, and no, I didn't get the three. <laughs> no, I didn't get the 225. They paid me the $75. They told me I was going to get. Took me three trips to get it. And then eventually that, that, cause I got to get to answering your question. Then, uh, I came up and started doing some IWA shows as a favor for, uh, Dennis Corluza, who passed away way too young. And he was what a character he was. 
and was, uh, I think, president of the NWA for a while, I believe. Yep. I'm looking over here because the camera's here and my 70-inch monitor's here. Oh, okay. So when I'm okay. looking here, I'm looking at you. And when I'm looking there, I'm trying to patron patronize the audience and look at the camera. So uh, so as a favor to Dennis Corluza, I'd only worked for Nick Goulas at that time and a little bit in Smoky Mountain with Jimmy. I'd go down and ring announce and, and time keep and do some backstage production, shit like that. Nothing of any real big deal. And, uh, and then Corluza says, man, he says, uh, got, he says, you got a gift that, that maybe Cornette doesn't even have. And, Cor and Dennis Corluza booked me on the um, Eddie Gilbert Memorial after seeing what I could do at these shows when I come and helped him in Louisville. And, and, and Jimmy, I think Jimmy did refer me to Dennis Corluza once I was already in with Nick Goulas, uh, if memory serves me correctly, because he had to find me somehow. So I did a, a real good job. But the problem in IWA, I was having to do, I was managing seven out of 11 matches, heel manager, promo every freaking match. Do you know how hard it is to come up with new material every damn match for seven different people? And one of my favorite segments I ever did is that people that noticed that I didn't have any black wrestlers to manage. Um, so I started to be, of course, you know, I'm in the South end redneck hell and people are calling me a racist. You're a racist. So I said, I'll address that situation next week. I'll address my racism next week. So I came to the ring and I had flash Flanagan with me. If you know who flash yes, Flanagan, is. absolutely. Walking around the ring, I said, there's been a few of you all out here that have evaluated my stable. You see me out here, seven, eight, nine matches a night, and you've noticed that, that, I, that there's a certain type of wrestlers that I don't have out here with me. And you're right. You're right. And I, I must confess, I am a racist. I am a ra And I look around this arena, and I see a lot of you I do not like. I don't like you, and I'm pointing. And I'm trying to find where black fans are sitting so I can point in that direction. <sighs> And I look over there, I, no, don't like you. You're a, piece, you're a piece of shit. And you could cuss on Ian's shows. The, the language okay. could be as foul as you want. You could say, uh, what, what's your language like on this show? Oh, you can go ahead. You can go ahead. You can say whatever. All right. Yeah, you can say fuck whatever. It didn't matter. So I'm trying to find black fans. And we're in the south end of Louisville. There's not a lot of black fans there, but I'm looking to where I can find some. Right. And I'm pointing. I said, now, is it obvious about my racism? You're right. I'm a racist. I hate stupid fucking white people. So... <laughs> That was how we got that going. So now Ooh. we got the whole goddamn building, and the black people are cheering. There's right. not many, right? But they're cheering. Hey, right. hey, these fucking white people. <laughs> all right, all right. And uh, so that was one of my favorite things I ever got to do with that company. I'm a racist. I'll admit it. I hate <laughs> stupid fucking white, and I've oh, used that a million times since then on podcaster. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, call me a racist, you motherfucker. I hate oh, stupid fucking man. white people. <laughs> Still feel that way today. That's why I hate the Republican Party. Oh, so, <laughs> bro. Okay. Don't know how political you get on this show, but hey, I can go there too. We can go ever, baby. Too. Okay. So, have you always had this energy? Like you just said, your first night at this company, you mm -hmm. like, hey, you got to pay me. You know, mm -hmm. most guys are so timid; they're scared to make any waves. Oh, Were you always like that? Yes, because I did the same thing to Danny Davis. So, Danny Davis recruits me. Uh, from Ian Rotten shows because they're they're barbed wire bats, blood every goddamn night, and they're getting to the point now they want me to work a King of the Death match in Southern Indiana because there's no athletic commission. You can do anything over there you want. They want me to take a bump into a a, a fish tank full of piranha and take my chances. And I said you're a bunch of fucking idiots. I said I won't blade. No one hits me with a goddamn chair. 
no, I'm not going to take a bump to a goddamn fish tank. Well, you won't be booked on that show. I said, good. Let somebody else go out there and cut the seven fucking promos that night. It won't be me. I am not going to work King of the Death match. I don't make that fucking much money here. They were paying me about 75 to 100 bucks a night because they thought it was going to lead to Cornette coming and booking IWA shows because they knew he wanted out of, out of uh, WWE. And we were looking to start a developmental company. And he, he will lie about it to this day and tell you that Ian was never under consideration, but he was. He was sending down promos. He was telling everybody what to do. Some WWE talent was already working those Ian Rotten shows, like Salvatore Sincere. Salvatore was the first ever WWE wrestler that I ever managed, and we had a great relationship. As a matter of fact, my name had not been officially legally changed to Bowling yet. So all the boys knew my adopted name of Ryzen, and Salvatore Sincere nicknamed me Bad Moon Ryzen. And that's what my son wanted me to be called. He's man, he's I wish you'd never changed your name. He's, I'd rather be Ryzen. Bad Bad Moon Ryzen's a pretty cool name. I said, yeah, now, now it sounds like bad moon bowling ain't shit, but bad moon rising is a whole nother deal. So I could have been bad moon rising thanks to Salvatore sincere, but uh, never got that opportunity. But Danny Davis come over there for the Eddie Gilbert Memorial we did. And people knew that me and Eddie didn't get along particularly well. Uh, we had had a, uh, an amateur wrestling match at Rupp arena to where I beat him for some money. And, um, uh, what anybody supposed to know about it, but we, we did it and, uh, and had some fun doing it. And, but we did not like each other. Um, I ended up with one of his girlfriends and she bad mouthed how big Eddie's penis was and shit like that. <laughs> and I made sure, and I made sure everybody knew what her report was. Oh, man. And, um, so I, it was like that old joke. Well, it ain't too bad once you get past the use part. <laughs> so. And you're not supposed to tell that joke anymore, but I just did. So um, me and Eddie didn't particularly like each other. So we're doing the Eddie Gilbert Memorial. But me and Doug got along great. I love Doug. Uh, I hear he doesn't like me now. I don't know why. Maybe he's heard me tell these stories about his brother. I don't know. Uh, but I had no problem with Doug. I hear he does not like me anymore. Whatever. I'll pull through. Um, so I'm managing Doug. And, and for the Eddie Gilbert Memorial, they bring in Tommy Gilbert. And I'm managing... Uh, with assistant manager, Tommy Gilbert, I'm managing, uh, I think, Freebird, uh, Terry Gordy, okay. Doug Gilbert, and I think Hustler Rip Rogers. I think those were the three. And um, they want me to cut a promo, bad-mouthing Eddie. And Eddie hadn't been dead very long. I was in Memphis, uh, not Memphis, but Knoxville the night that Eddie died. I'm the one that told Jerry Lawler that he didn't have an opponent that night. Um and I, I, I remember going to him and telling him, uh, I said, Jerry, I said, I don't, I said, I don't know if you've heard or not. He said, heard what? I said, well, your main event tonight was supposed to be with Eddie Gilbert. I said, but I just got word. They found him dead in his hotel. And, um, I really shouldn't say what he said next. Cause I don't know if he's ever made that public, but Jerry suspected what the cause of death was. And I said, that's what I heard. He said, mm -hmm. he said, so who's my opponent going to be? I said, I don't know. And I think it ended up being Bobby Blaze. I think Bobby Blaze ended up taking Gilbert's place that, that night. But Jerry, that night, to me, didn't seem to be, I mean, it's like, yeah, it's bound to happen. Uh, I mean, that was just kind of the attitude that I detected that night. Right. And uh, so I was the one that told him. Okay. Um, I'd found out Jimmy was doing other shit. Jimmy's booking Knoxville. So, you know, he was a little busy and I hung out with Jerry most of the night anyway, because I was Jerry's special guest ring announcer. It was my job to introduce him for that night, my super fan, whatever. And, uh, and plus I was working for Cornette a little bit with Smokey and 
had just got done doing Nick Goulas's work and was doing some IWA work. But, but Danny Davis ran into me at IWA and he says, Kenny, I got to get you out of here. I said, what do you mean? He says, I know you're working both com- uh, for this company, but how'd you like to come work for me? I said, well, they do shows over here on Tuesday. You do tapings on Wednesdays. Why don't I just do Tuesday and knock them over and do your show? All right. I guess we could start out like that. So I did about six or eight weeks with both companies. And I also did the Eddie Gilbert Memorial in Philadelphia. And that was a lot of fun. Dennis Corluza made sure I was booked on that. And, and again, they put me in like five matches, including an arm wrestling match with uh, Sonny and um, Gold Dust Lady, uh, Marlena. Marlena yeah. and, and of course, Sonny no-showed. Of course, so of course. Me, me and Marlene, I end up doing a bit, but Psycho Sid did show up, by the way. For real? Are you serious? I've been booked on four shows with Psycho Sid, and that was the only one that we got to work together. Oh, Because okay. I think I think he worked King Kong Bundy that night. Okay. Rest I I'm trying to go by memory. This was 1997. So um, so they have me come out there to be the special guest referee of the arm wrestling man. I'm going to be the referee for Sonny and Marlena, and it turns out not happening. So I ended up just doing a promo with Marlena convincing her because it was public that her and gold dust were having problems. Right. And I said, yeah, I said, I hear that, uh, that, that guy you got, uh, sleeping with you now, ain't getting a job done. I said, right here, baby, I'm your man. I'll take care of those needs for you. And so I'm trying to woo her with all the shit you can't say in this day and age, right? Right. Letting her know that I'm going to do everything that, that gold dust can't do. And she said, well, I'll tell you what, Kenny, she says, uh, uh, let me think about it. I said, think about it. I said, I'll tell you what, why don't you just give me a big kiss right on the lips right here? And I think one kiss from me and you're going to realize who the man is. So she's all right. Okay. Kenny, that's fair. She said, close your eyes. So I fuck her up and close my eyes and she slaps the dog. <laughs> and, go. uh, so, uh, that was, so we didn't have the arm wrestling match, but I got to get bitch slapped by Marlena. <laughs> so that was, that was all right. Let me ask you and, something. uh, so eventually, so eventually Danny Davis recruits me over to OVW yeah. and he asked me to leave. I said, well, they're wanting me to do this goddamn piranha match with the king of the death. I no, Danny, just put me together some type of contract. Don't insult me and I'll quit Ian and I'll come over and work for you. So, uh, and, and he set me up a pretty good deal because they knew I could sell the advertising for the mm. show. And there's been some people that made comments. They said, there's no way that Bowling was making $100,000 a year at OVW. Nobody makes that kind of money working for an independent. Well, nobody but me, because I sold all the advertising. We got the WWE contract. Now I get to sell personal appearances. I was making 34% selling cookware. I'll be goddamn, I'm going to make 34% selling advertising. And it killed Danny. Danny's a tightwad from hell. He didn't want to cut me, you know, checks for 34% on on advertising and personal appearance sales i said well danny you can either have the uh let me do the math here 60 the 66 percent that's left and that's a lot of money or you can have nothing would you like to have the 66 percent and i get 34 or you get nothing because you got nobody else here that can do it jimmy's not a people person you're not a people person i can get along with anybody i can walk into whas studios today and get a contract i said i can go to every car dealer in town and get a contract I can walk into any pawn shop and get a contract. You ain't got anybody else here that can do that. And I ain't doing the shit for free. It ain't like you're all paying me big money to be here, but I can make big money if I use my salesmanship. And I am a professional salesman. I did that before I got into pro wrestling. I sold cookware door to door for $3,000 a set. If I can do that, I can hang your goddamn $1,200 banners. So they agreed to pay me my 34%. And that's what I made uh, selling 
personal appearances. And, and so if I book Steve Austin to do a $10,000 personal appearance at the uh, Louisville gardens, and he's got star Ford or Paul Miller Ford's banner hanging up behind him, he gets 10 grand. Well, I get 30% of that. Now uh, that's 30% of my money. And that's the deal. If big show gets paid five grand, I get 30% of that. If Kane gets five grand, I get 30%. If the Hardy boys get 7,500, I get the, so you do that all year booking these WWE stars and then hanging four to four to eight banners on every television show at $1,300 a month. Yeah. And I'm getting free cars from Paul Miller Ford and star Ford. I get free furniture. And now the WWF is giving me 2000 tickets two and three times a year to pass out to people to make sure they fill the upper decks at the shows. What do you think I'm giving those goddamn tickets away? Fuck no, they're $35 <laughs> a pop. So, and Jimmy knew what I was doing with them. I was told to give them away. I said, well, that, that's, that's one thing I could do. Or <laughs> I could sell these some bitches for $20, $10. Now, I did give a shitload away to school. I'd go to Catholic schools and give oh. tickets away. Wherever my son was going to school at, he went to a couple of different schools. I'd go in there and give away 300 tickets. Well, I still had 1,700 I could fucking sell. So, no, it was a, and I didn't pay for anything. I didn't pay for food for the 17 years I was at OVW. I could eat anywhere in town. And Al Snow talked about it on my show last week. He says Kenny was the biggest star in the company. Kenny owned Louisville. Kenny didn't pay for shit. And the WWE guys would say, well, why does Kenny get everything? And we're the contract to start. We don't get shit. He says, because Kenny is a star from the time he wakes up in the morning till he time till he goes to bed at night. When Kenny walks through the doors, he lets everybody know he's the big star. He's the big show. When he leaves, he ain't out there signing autographs and kissing babies. He's being a heel, going to his car and telling everybody what pieces of shit they are. You guys, you're 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 out there being whoever the fuck you are when you walk in. You come in here, you turn it on for your 12 minutes in the ring, and then you go outside and you act like you're not a star. Kenny knows he's a star, so he acts like one. You guys don't know how to be a star. And Al Snow told him that at one of the post-match uh, meetings one day, and they're all sitting around at each other like, God damn, I got to be a star 24 hours a day. Well, Jerry Lawler was a star 24 yep. hours a day. Bill Dundee was a star. Yep. Handsome Jimmy. They, they didn't fucking turn it off and just act like, God damn, I'm one of you. Uh, you all want to play cards? You want to fucking go over here and eat, have a hamburger together? And, uh, and it took years before Lawler treated me like that to where we could go to McDonald's and have a hamburger and a big red, big Mac and a big red. So, uh, if you don't act like a star, you're not going to be one. And you can see it in the WWE today. There's some people that realize they're a star, not as many as there used to be. Um, and there's some people that just ain't figured it out. And OVW was filled with people that had not figured it out at that time. Don't, don't tell me that John Cena don't realize he's a star. Dave Batista realizes he's a star. Dave and I didn't get along that well when he was with the company, but he realizes he's a star. Um, uh, you, you name them, Brock Lesnar, all these guys. And I guarantee you, they're not out there being your buddy and just, oh, I'm just a mark like you. You know, they're, they're not doing right, that. Right, right, right. You know, you got to know when to turn it on. So I've talked a lot. Why don't you, uh, oh, man. Why don't you I, get your shit in now? Oh, man, I'm telling you, I'm loving this right now. As a matter of fact, Fans and especially you wrestlers is going to be watching this. He's giving you a lesson. Be a star twenty four seven. Be a star. I shouldn't be going to hang out with you, uh, uh, like getting a big red, a Big Mac, if I'm not in the business. And even then, make that cashier know who you are. Make her well, know exactly and, who you and, are. And let, me, and let me name you another one. He might not be the most popular wrestler now since that uh, Dark Side of the Moon or whatever that damn show oh, is. Yeah. Uh, Rick Flair. 
but Jimmy, I remember telling me, I didn't know Flair that well at the time, but uh, Flair and I got to be pretty good friends around 86 because he made a $1,000 bet with me. And no, it wasn't a straight up $1,000 bet. He said, I bet you 10 to 1 North Carolina will beat Louisville in the NCAA tournament. I said, 10 to 1. I said, so in other words, if I bet $100, you'll, you'll bet 1,000 that, that North Carolina will beat Louisville? You got it, brother. I said, all right, that's a bet. I said, I, I got it. Now, if you lose, you got to pay me your 100. I said, I'll pay my 100. Jimmy said, yeah, he'll pay you. He'll, I'll make sure he pays you. And uh, so they play the game, NCAA tournament, 1986. Louisville beats North Carolina by 23. It's a few more weeks before I get to see Flair because I'm, I'm meeting him and Jimmy in Cincinnati. I'm picking up Jimmy at the airport. Flair happens to be there. I'm Jimmy's ride to the arena at the Cincinnati Gardens that night. Flair gets off the plane. I said, hey, nature boy. <laughs> I said, uh, you know that North Carolina-Louisville game? We had a bet on that. And he said, he was, Yeah. I said, you bet me a thousand to a hundred dollars that, uh, that, that North Carolina would win. I said, we beat you guys by 23. I said, you, uh, you owe me a thousand dollars, Rick. He says, you don't really think I'm going to pay you. Do you? I said, yeah, I do. I said, I think you're a man of your word. You made the bet in front of witnesses. I, yeah. I said, I think, I think you'll pay me. He said, oh, no brother, not paying you, not going to pay you the thousand dollars. And you know who made him pay? Oh, beautiful Bobby Eaton. who just passed away. Not long ago. Yeah. Beautiful Bobby says, Rick, that ain't right. And Bobby called me a kid. And I think I might be older than Bobby. I don't know. We're, we're close. And he says, you bet that kid a thousand dollars to a hundred. And he would have paid you. He says, I know I've known Kenny for many years. Kenny would have paid you if he lost you, you Rick, you got to pay him. You got to honor it. And Rick's and Rick's disgusted. He's like, right. So he pulls out his wallet, counts out 10, $100 bills. He's got more than that in his goddamn wallet. Counts out a hundred dollars, a thousand dollars and hundred dollar bills. Counts them out in my hand one, two, and he's making it slow. He's making me work for it. He says, ha ha ha, brother, there's your thousand dollars. You know what that is to me? That was my dinner money tonight. I said, ha ha, I said, ha, ha brother. I said, you know what that is to me? That's my rent for the next four months. So, and that's what it was. I was paying $250 a month rent at the uh, Knob Hill apartments in wow. 1986. So he paid my rent for four months. I was, I was thrilled. He can blow out on dinner if he wants, but it's my rent money. I'm, I'm set for a while. Man, listen, blow my paycheck. Listening to you here, you definitely would have bossed in Louisville, man. And you talked earlier about some of the guys that you managed. Now, we yeah. know Cena. We know Renee Dupree. But could you really list off some of these guys that you saw early, man? And, like, did Let you know try. what they were going to be, what they were? I had a good idea in the early goings. Uh, one of them that didn't become as big a star as I thought he would was Sylvester Turkey. Sly Turkey was among the first people I managed. Bull Buchanan was the very first. You remember Bull Buchanan mm -hmm. with the, uh, uh, what was the name of their group? The Right to... Right to Censor. Right and, to Censor. He, was, he ended he up was, doing some stuff with Cena later on too as B-Square. Yeah, 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 yeah. They, they became a tag team and went to Japan, I think. Mm-hmm. And we're a tag team together. And I think they tagged a little bit on WWE. Yeah, with, they with did. That rapping gimmick that they mm -hmm. gave Cena. So uh, Bull Buchanan was the very first uh, WWE contract guy. So I remember Jimmy uh, Cornette making a big deal out of it. He come to me, he says, well, congratulations, man. I said, what's up? He says, your first guy just got called up to the WWE today. I said, really? I said, uh, I said, Bull? He said, Bull got called up. I said, well, that's pretty damn cool. I said, I've actually managed one that's made it. Never knowing there was going to be 53 more after that. <laughs> You know, you think you knew Bull was going to go. Uh, I was sure that Turkey was going to go. It just didn't work out for him as good as I was hoping it would. You knew Henry was going to go back up. I was managing Mark Henry at that time. 
Rico, I felt pretty good about, but Rico was 40 and they didn't realize he was 40 when we got him. And they really kind of fucked with him a little bit. And, uh, as a matter of fact, they released him, oh. they, they had cut him and, uh, but, but stone cold, Steve Austin had come down here and worked the show with us at the Louisville gardens. And he worked with me and Rico that night because, uh, Russ McCullough, the big seven footer had fucked up and said, and did some shit he shouldn't have done. And he got took out of the match and Rico got put in it. So McCullough fucked himself out of a segment with Steve Austin at the Louisville gardens in front of 5,600 people, which is sold out. That's, that's a yeah. big deal for Louisville gardens. It's also the night that I, uh, advertised him out for $10,000 and made three grand for him to set with stock forward. So I'd already made three grand just off him alone. And then quite a bit more money off other stars that I'd booked that night for their personal appearance. And, uh, so it was a great night for me. I, I probably, I probably cleared six grand that night just 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 off personal appearance money and um so and now i'm getting to do the bit with stone cold steve austin so i bought his beer that night i picked up all the beer he was going to need for the segment went down uh met with him and jim ross down in the locker room and steve said man you got me some beer man i appreciate that i said that's all right the least i can do to get to work an angle with stone cold steve austin why don't you drink a beer with me i said well steve i don't drink but let me tell you what i'm going to do i'm going to drink a beer with stone cold steve austin i said i don't drink i've never been drunk a day in my life God damn, man. How you get around? How do you live? <laughs> oh, not, not drunk. I said, but I'm going to drink a cold one with you. So we got him ice cold beer. We, we banged the beers and drank a beer down with Jim Ross. And, and uh, so we're talking about how the match is going to go. And Rico's supposed to take the stunner. I said, so all right, well, I'll hang around. You know, I won't get out of the ring. I said, when do I get my stunner? No, man, that's going to take the heat off Rico. This is what Jim Ross is saying. Austin was all for it. Yeah, I'll stun your ass. I don't give a shit. So, uh, but Ross says, no, that's going to take the heat off Rico. This is to keep the heat on Rico. If you get a stunner, all the heat's going to be on you. And we're trying to get Rico to the WWE. You're here developing guys for us. I said, all right, I get it. I said, I'm disappointed. I'd like to have gotten a stunner, but right. so I still hung around in the ring anyway, in case he changed his mind. And Jimmy was pissed that I didn't roll out of the ring when the shit went south. I said, no, I was hoping I was going to get a stunner. <laughs> if Steve comes over, I'm taking a stunner regardless of what you all called. So uh, I didn't get my stunner. Rico did. And, and he took it beautifully. I could not have topped what Rico did on that stunner. And it, it was, it was pretty cool. And, um, I don't know where I was going with that story. Where, where, where what were you I trying to get it. out of me? I don't remember what I don't remember. Oh, I was talking about. The oh, oh, you wanted a list of people. So yeah, yeah, Bull, Buchanan, right. Bull Buchanan, Mark Henry, uh, Sylvester Turkey, Rico, but Cena went up before Rico did. Cena got called up before. No, no. I take that back. I think Rico went first. I think Rico went first, but Rico had been released. Stone Cold Steve Austin arranges the meeting with Stephanie McMahon and says, Hey, I've worked with this guy. This guy's got what it takes. This guy's got something. You're releasing him anyway. You're going to be paying him for the next 90 days. So why don't we put, and this is all Austin with Stephanie McMahon, with me and Danny Davis and Jimmy Cornette nearby. He says, why don't we put Rico on the road for 90 days? And if you don't like what you see, cut him because you're gonna pay him anyway so don't let him sit at home and collect 90 days of pay let him work and 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 if he but if he shows you something sign him to a contract and let's get some use out of him because i'm telling you rico's got what it takes and um and and mcmahon didn't care for cena he didn't get it and if you watch the first ever um what were the name of that series of dvds uh because because i made a few of my own um God damn, I can't remember the name of the first DVD that, that Cena was in. 
I forget. I know what you're talking about. I forget the name of it. Too. Yeah, but, but but me and Danny Davis were in it, and me and Danny said, "Yeah, we knew he'd be a star. We didn't give a shit if he could wrestle or not. He could talk his ass off, yeah. and uh, he could talk you to the ring. And we we didn't care if he knew three, four, five moves." And Vince, I didn't get it. You know, they cut the Vince. I didn't get it. I, I didn't understand it. Uh, I was ready to let him go, and and he was. And and I don't think Cena knew they were ready to let him go, because uh, he was going to be let go right about the same time that Rico was um but no vince said he didn't get it and me and jimmy and, and danny all three agreed this guy's gonna be a big ass star he was so he was so good i got mark i sold him to mark cuban not knowing that vince didn't get it uh and, and that's how i got mark cuban involved with us i wrote him on web tv told him what i wanted to do he wanted me to come to memphis and bring cena with me and we'd shoot some interviews i said well i said that's about a 15 hour round trip drive and i don't like to fly I said, you're going to be in Indianapolis in three weeks. I said, why don't we drive up to Indianapolis? Oh, okay. You live close to Indianapolis? I said, yeah. I said, our training camp's in Louisville. Well, shit, Kenny. He says, I'll just send you a limo to your house, pick you up, bring you all up. Um, we'll, we'll treat you good. We'll give you 15, 20 minutes to record anything you want. Take it back and use it however you want. I said, that's great. I said, the limo. So he sends the limo. Cena thinks it's all a rib. Cena doesn't think his shit's <laughs> happening because Jimmy didn't think it was going to happen. Right. Jimmy shitting all over. He didn't even want to give me the cameraman, but the cameraman was a good friend of mine. So I took a cameraman. I took my brother, my son, um, Cena, and that was it. The limo driver. So uh, the limo driver uh, takes us up there and uh, drops us off. And uh, they treat us like kings. We get catering with the press. Then we get a little uh, time with the players. We get to, to participate in a shoot around, walked around the court with our little passes on and everything. I got to shoot around with uh, Tim Hardaway and Dirk Nowitzki and those people. And, and I was bragging about, I could shoot threes better than, than Tim Hardaway. <laughs> well, there was a time I might've been able to, I don't know if I could do it at that time at age 40, 41, <laughs> whatever I was, but I could still shoot pretty good. You know, nice. I hadn't gotten real fat yet. I could still shoot a three pretty good. I impressed a few Mavericks. We'll just say that. And I'm doing this shit in a suit. If I'd have had, if I'd have had my shorts on, I'd have dunked on Hardaway. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go. I'd have, I'd, I'd have schooled his ass. Let's go. But, uh, but I wasn't there to show anybody up. I wasn't there to make, make Dirk Nowinski look bad. I, I'm there for other reasons. This is not my time to be showing everybody that I could have been an NBA basketball exactly. player, too. Yeah. How many goddamn professional sports? I, I did hit a home run in Atlanta Fulton County Stadium. Did you know that? No, I did not, man. I hit, I hit it off Ric Flair. <laughs> we, we we played some baseball uh before one of the great american bashes and that was when david allen cole was there and and uh who who's the hippie that still sells marijuana with the pigtails uh willie nelson willie nelson yeah willie <laughs> nelson was there david allen cole oh. and uh one other country singer that they, they they loved the wrestling man they loved it with a passion and bobby eaton was the left fielder and uh rick flair was pitcher and uh and i love playing baseball and we were using the atlanta braves equipment it was in the dugout and we just went in here and grabbed some bats and gloves i'm left-handed i'm using a right-handed glove putting it on my hand as a left-hander and uh hit a hit a home run in atlanta fulton county stadium off rick flair and i also hit a home run with the louisville bats uh team they let me take batting practice because me and the manager of the bats got to be very good friends and uh so i got to take batting practice with uh the Cincinnati Reds AAA farm team and Grant Jackson, who's a hall of famer is pitching batting practice. And I knew who the fuck Grant Jackson was as so I'm in there to fucking get some hits. And I hit a home run off Grant Jackson in batting practice. Dave Miley, the manager got pissed because I made the, I made the batting practice picture, picture look bad, 
Miley takes the ball, next pitch up and in around my head. <laughs> he, he tried oh, to man. tried to beat me. Tried to bean me. Also, he said my homer didn't count because I used an aluminum bat. I had oh. an aluminum bat I really liked. I said, well, in college, they use aluminum bats, and I've had this bat since college, and I used this at Trevecca Nazarene College and hit a lot of home runs with this bat. I said, and I just felt comfortable with it. Well, if you'd have done it with a wooden bat, we'd have been impressed, but you cheated. You used an aluminum bat. I said, well, I still had a home run off Grant Jackson. No one's going to remember the TPX bat that I used. So, uh, as you can tell, I can't get along with anybody. Y'all hear this, man? You didn't know Kenny Bowling was like Bo Jackson also, man. Oh, shit. I could, I could run up an outfield wall, and I could run through an offensive line Ooh. and run down the tunnel with a touch with a football under my arm. Why is Renee Dupree gawking at me in the background? What the hell is going on with that? Oh, man. So, Another I'm guy like, sent to the WWE. Shift gears right quick. This is a segment we Oh, man. Y'all get some great stuff here, guys. Bo Jackson, Bo Bolin, motherfuckers. Let's Bo Bolin. Bolin knows everything. Bolin, Bo oh, I, well, I do. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Well, Kenny, I you better be you. glad I didn't take up checkers. I'd have been king of that as well. Baseball, baseball, basketball, and football, I was pretty good at. Lacrosse, not so much. Oh, but you literally but, when, You play I everything. Play some putt -putt. I could play some putt-putt. I couldn't golf, but I could play putt-putt. Oh, I took putt-putt very seriously. Out on the golf course, not so much. Well, Kenny, this next segment is called, it's called your mark out moment. Now, I'm All not right. talking about you see somebody and you're like, oh, my God, and you go crazy. Okay. But even though we know Kenny Bowling is a star and he's the star maker, yeah. everybody that ever been in the business might have had one moment that you're like in a locker room or you're somewhere and you're like, I can't mm. believe I'm working Ooh. with such and such. Well, I'm standing next to such and such. Kenny, I've, I've what actually, was that one time you had that moment? I would say Stone Cold Steve Austin, but I knew Austin when he was poor. I would say The Rock, but I knew Rock when he was poor. When I when I worked at Freedom Hall in my first ever match at Freedom Hall with WWE, we're the dark match before WWE starts, and I shared a locker room with The Rock and Billy Gunn. And one other, I can't remember. My son remembers who the third person was in the locker room at night. I can't remember, but it was The Rock, Billy Gunn, and someone else. And we shared a locker room that night. And that was kind of awesome. And I guarantee you, Rock did not even remember knowing me back in the 70s when he was Flex Cavana uh, in Memphis. And because he told me the story about when he played Canadian football, how he got a mattress out of a dumpster. Well, I noticed on the Rock show, they changed that story up a little bit. He's claimed he got it out of a dumpster. He claims he went somewhere to where they bought some shitty used mattresses right. that had yellow stains on them and everything. So it was kind of the same story. But many of the stories he tells on, on uh, the Rock I'd already heard from him or Rocky Johnson. When Rocky Johnson was an agent in OVW, he would tell some of those stories and uh, and told me that him and, and Rock didn't always get along. And he was bragging about uh, some some Nikes and a jacket that Rock had bought him. I said, your son makes $40 million a year. I said, I said you're bragging that he got you some shoes and a jacket? He said, well, he don't get me much. He said, he makes me earn what I get. I said, God damn. Wow. So, and I thought he was fucking working me. I, I thought, you know, there's no way. But yeah, if, if you watch the show, Rock had some animosity towards him. So if you haven't watched Young Young Rock, it is a great show. Oh, absolutely! He's I, I, easy to digest. Twenty two minutes when you speed through the commercials. I was going to ask you there, about it. Yeah, it's a great show. I, I sat there and binge watched a few of them the other night. I was about six, seven episodes behind. And what's cool now is you're getting into the Memphis shit. Yes, uh, Jerry Lawler is going to be on there soon, and Downtown Bruno, the Ric Flair that got the joke, the Sheik. 
Could be, it might be, it might really be the Sheik. He's that close. I wrote Sheik the other day. I said, are you really the Sheik on, on Young Rock? I think it's you. And uh, the Macho Man guy ain't too bad. Yeah, yeah. The Andre the Andre guy's not too bad, but the Ric Flair guy was, was not even close. He, uh, I don't know if that far or not, but you're going to be disappointed when you see Ric Flair. Oh, and from yeah. what I've heard, we're going to be disappointed when we sing Lawler. I've seen, I've seen a snapshot of it. Okay. I haven't seen the actual bit yet. Uh, they should have just let Lawler play, play Lawler and put some more hair on him. Because uh, Lawler has not really aged all that badly for right, a 72-year-old exactly. man. Exactly. Uh, but no, Young Rock's an excellent show. Uh, uh, but let me go through. Also, uh, managed Shad Gaspard. Uh, unfortunately, he passed away here uh, trying to save his son uh, a, few, a couple, three years ago. Uh, Carlito, if you remember Carlito. Yep, yep. Uh, Lance K passed away of a drug overdose at his father's house uh, not long after doing a podcast with me when he was telling me how he got addicted on painkillers through working matches with uh, Bob Holly. Bob Holly wow. had hurt him real bad. And then said WWE didn't want to bring him back up because he he wanted to go into rehab. So they, they didn't really want anything to do. They were going to put him in rehab, but they didn't have anything for him when he got out of it. So it, it, he did like a two-hour show with me and where he really buried WWE mm. for how they treated him and that he wanted help. And yeah, we'll get you the help, but we're not going to have a job for you when you get out because you're going to be you're going to be damaged property. Wow! And uh, it was it was horrible how they treated him. And uh, and he called me dad. Uh, Lance and I were very very close. Uh, Mark Jindrak. Yep. And uh, there's a story I, I tell often about how Jimmy did not think that Lance Cade or Mark Jindrak would make it to the WWE. Jimmy also did not think um, uh, Johnny Nitro would make it to the WWE. Uh, he did not think Paul London would make it. And uh, Jindrak and Cade were amongst that. And I said, I tell you what, I said, I think Cade and Jindrak will make it. I said, I think I will have them in the WWE within six weeks. And, uh, and we didn't make a cash bet on it, but him and Danny Davis both are looking at me like, you're full of shit. These guys are not going to get there. I said, yeah, they are. He said, no, it's easy. Bowling, your streak is over. Because I'd sent like 30 some odd guys yeah, or 40 yeah. some odd. Bowling, your streak is over. You ain't getting these two there. I said, yeah, I am. So three weeks later, they get called up. He And I told him within six weeks, I'd have them there. Three weeks later, they get called up. So we're supposed to go out and do an interview. It's supposed to be me, Caden, and Jindrak. Well, they got called up earlier that day, so I don't have Caden. I don't have Jindrak. So I'm walking out to the ring with the biggest goddamn smile on my face you ever saw, because now I know I'm going to get to put Jimmy in his place. <laughs> As I said, he says, well, I'm supposed to have you out here for, uh, for an interview. And I had never been called the star maker yet before this show. And he says, I'm supposed to have you out here for an interview with you and Caden and Jindrak, but I noticed Bowling... All you got out here with you is Miss Lulu. He says, uh, Caden Jindrak aren't out here. He says, so star maker, you've done it again. The old star maker, you sent two more to the WWE. I said, that's exactly right, Jimmy. I was hoping you weren't going to try to hide this. I was hoping you weren't going to try to lie to the people. You remember in the back, we had to talk about this. I said, you told me that Caden Jindrak would never see a day in the WWE. And I told you that within six weeks, I'd get them there. And look at here, Jimmy, three weeks to the day. <clears throat> they're in the WWE and you looked at me like I had a smoking turd in my mouth, Jimmy and Danny Davis lost it in the back. He said, I don't think anyone has ever accused somebody of having a smoking turd in their mouth on a wrestling show. Jerry Lawler heard about it. And he asked me about it. He says, Kenny, why would you accuse somebody of having a smoking turd in their mouth? I said, it just seemed like the thing to say. He says, well, from what I understand, you're the only person ever to say that on television and get by with it. I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad it worked out that way. And Jimmy starts laughing on camera. 
I said, you looked at me like I had a smoking turd in my mouth. You know, you did. And then he turns and starts laughing because he was not looking for that. And I didn't know what the hell I was going to say. Uh, but he called me the star maker. So I get to the back. I said, I tell you what, we just found my new name. Cause I'd always been Kenny, the King Bowen up right. to then the King of managers. And when me and Lawler would feud, I'd say, well, you know, don't get hot Lawler. I said, you're the King of wrestling. I'm the King of managers. I was King long before you are Remember the King of kickball. And we'd always start that shit. So, um, uh, but I like, but there's been a hundred damn Kings, right? King Mabel, King, Hen King, Harley race, King, this King, that, but there's never been a star maker. So I said, I'm, I'm going to start doing that. And, and, and now it's about half and half, half people still call me King half still call me star maker. And I appreciate both names. And that's why I still have Jerry Lawler's crown sitting over there behind me. He sent it to me years ago, claims he didn't, but we're in the hell cell. <laughs> that crown was sent to me from Memphis. Who the hell else is going to send me that yeah, crown? Right, right, right. So, but I think he was trying to be humble. And I said, well, you're passing me the torch. You know, your days are done. So um, <laughs> take it like a king. Take it like a king. From one king to another. You got to understand. So um, where was I going with this? Hey, just keep, right, just keep going. Just, just, just keep <laughs> going. Just keep going. So, uh, so Caden Jindrak made it. And I uh, that night, I said, well, all right, I'm the star maker. And that's when I uh, came up with a briefcase. Uh, you see it there behind you. It says uh, Star Maker Bowling. On the other side, it says BS for Bowling Services. Uh, so the crowd would yell bullshit when they'd see the BS logo that was designed. So they would yell bullshit at the shows. And um, so I really like the So I'm watching Monday Night Raw one night and they said, up next, the Star Maker. So my phone's going off the hook. People are coming, Kenny. Kenny, you're on Raw. And they're leaving messages on my answer machine because they think I'm at Monday Night Raw. Right. And so I answered a couple of phones. I said, no, no, I'm not at Monday Night Raw. And I don't know who the fuck's coming out next, but I can assure you, it ain't going to be me. I had no clue who they're going to bring out. Do you know? Who was it? I, I don't remember that. I'm, I'm about to tell you. I got to so hear this. this. The Star Maker's coming up next. The, the debut of the Star Maker. And I must have gotten 50 phone calls during the commercial break to congratulate me for being on monday night raw but it wasn't me so i'm waiting to see who it's going to be and who who do you think comes through the goddamn curtain johnny nitro oh man. The, first, the first name they gave him was the star maker so i so i called jimmy i said what's this shit i said i just took the star maker name not even a year ago i said would you bother to let these fucks know that we already got a star maker right down here in the triple a division that trains these motherfuckers i said yeah come on this is bullshit and i'm kind of half-assed joking about it i don't give a fuck if they call him the star maker or not and, and, we, and we have a built-in feud if anything ever happens yeah. who's the real star maker fuck you johnny nitro <laughs> i'm the goddamn star maker not you get the fuck out of my ring yeah we we had a built-in storyline if it ever come to that I want you to know the next week they, they took the star maker name off from him and he called him something else. I don't even remember what his new name was. was he was only star maker for one week. I was about now, to whether say me, quick. now, whether me and Jimmy bitching about it had anything to do with it. I have no idea, Oh man! but, but I was kind of half-ass bitching about it, but I didn't give a shit. You know, it was, uh, it, it was like when Charlotte flair declared herself the star maker. Well, WWE had given me a copyright strike on my show because I had the freedom hall show on in the background promoting them doing smackdown at freedom hall right in my hometown the goddamn arena is 1.8 miles from my door the yum center 1.8 miles away churchill downs is 4.2 miles away i did not have any money on that 80 to one horse by the way and um 
So I get a copyright strike because on the television you see in the background there, I have Monday Night Raw, and you see how far away it is. Tell yeah. Renee to quit leaning into the camera so goddamn far. <laughs> you heard it, Renee. I got to teach him how to do a podcast. Before you heard that. that. You know, I'll, I'll tell him. <laughs> um, so I am his manager. It's my job to tell him. So um, I get a copyright strike. So I write the WWE. I said, guys, all I was doing was trying to promote your damn show. You got Monday Night Raw. You had... 14,000 empty goddamn seats down here. I'm trying to motivate people to go to the show uh, that might still want to get there. It's a fucking three-hour show. So maybe they see it on in the background, realize it's on in their hometown. They can go down there and see the last two hours of show. I said, but you copyright strike me. You're trying to shut me down for 90 days. I said, and then you got Charlotte Flair calling her goddamn self the star maker on the show. I said, please, guys. I said, don't shut me down for 90 days. I said, I raised money for Filipino typhoon victims, you know, you're not only fucking me you're fucking them i said will you please work with me so they they lifted the copyright strike in two days instead of 90 right. okay and charlotte flair quit calling herself the star maker so uh but i thought it was fun i was hoping she'd keep doing it so i could bitch about it on my show <laughs> but uh so two people have tried that star maker shit and they each only got to do it for one week my eyes have been giving me a lot of trouble. So if you see me trying to clear gunk out of my eyes, I've been up so long no problem. and it just wears my eyes out. So um, if you see me trying to clear my eyes, it's just, I've been up a long time and the longer I'm up, the more it fucks with my eyes. No problem. No problem. And um, so, um, yeah. So <laughs> two, star, two star makers, they lasted one week. I've been around. <laughs> I wish I knew the date of that show. I'm probably going to have to do some research uh, and find out what day Kate and Jindrak got called up to the WWE because that's when I became the star maker. I'd never been called that before. And that's one thing I got to thank Jimmy for is he's the one that gave me that name. I didn't, I did not come up with it. They did, or he did. So everybody thinks I shit on Jimmy all the time. And there's, there's a lot of things I shit on him about racism, shit like that comes yeah. up. Uh, no one's recorded me saying the n-word 16 times so right. and my father was the leader of the kkk in norfolk virginia or my biological father okay so uh if anybody would have been recorded saying that word you would have thought it would have been me right no it wasn't me um so but you know if, if jimmy's done something good or responsible so i try i give everybody credit for what they've done if, if people come up with good ideas on my shows uh, I try to make sure they get credit. If we raise a lot of money to help a certain Filipino family and it wasn't my money, uh, Tea Maker contacted me today, a fan of the show. He donated enough money to make sure one of the Filipinos got home, hadn't seen her mother in four years, and, and he made a big donation to make sure she got home. So I made sure she knew where that money came from. It didn't come directly out of my pocket. A fan named Tea Maker, who's in the military, made sure you got home. So I like to give credit where credit is due. Renee's kind of creepy peering over at camera like that. <laughs> Yo, I gotta, right. I gotta ask you this, Kenny, man. Since you, yeah, you brought him up multiple times, man. What's your, how are you guys now, man? Have you guys squashed it? No, we, we haven't spoken in five years. You still haven't squashed it, man. Okay. Mm. Okay. Well, um, he sent an email to an old friend of mine who was no longer my friend, and Jimmy knew that, and he knew that me and this person were never speaking again. But that person had gotten this letter from jimmy where he was planning he, he was he wished me dead so he could either kill or have my son killed and we still have the email we forwarded it to the state police so they would have a record of it in case jimmy ever got stupid um and uh, when, when somebody threatens to kill your son that pretty much ends oh, yeah, any yeah. 
yeah, the, the, the forgiveness path has pretty much worn its, worn its way. So, um, no, I don't think we'll ever speak again. It's unfortunate. I did reach out to him when Bobby Eaton died even, and he'd already threatened to kill my son then. And, but my son had told me the only person that could make me forgive Jimmy for what he's done is Bobby Eaton. So when Bobby died, I was going to make sure Jimmy knew that, Hey, Bobby was the one guy that could have fixed this shit. If you'd have just let it happen. Um, but I got nothing to apologize for. I, I reached out to him a few times. He's the one that is recorded saying all the racist shit, homophobic shit, womanizing shit. It ain't me. Uh, he's the one that got furious that I started working for Russo. Well, Russo paid me a lot more money and he appreciated what I was doing. He wasn't fucking trying to work me for a favor or get mad at me and ban me for six months. If I worked with somebody Russo didn't like Russo wanted me to stay friends with Jimmy. He didn't want any heat with the pro with, with the problem. And, um, so I, I got nothing to apologize for, but yet I was still willing to work with him. And when you threaten to kill my son, well, that shit's over. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And if people, and there's people still day old bowling lies on Cornet all the time. He don't know. Jimmy's not like that. Well, fuck you. You don't know. I was his friend for 45 fucking years. I know shit you all, that you all still don't know about. Shit that I'm terrified to tell because you all wonder why I didn't fucking tell it before. So, uh, no, there's a lot of secrets that will probably go to my grave. Um, and they wouldn't believe it anyway. The Marks wouldn't believe it. Right. So why even fucking bother? And, uh, but no, none of, nobody on this planet knows him like I do. And, uh, you all have learned that a lot of the arguments that we had on the shows were real. Yeah, a lot yeah. of the times I called him out for shit. It was a shoot, but it was good podcasting. Right. And, um, it's a shame that's gone and over because we were one hell of a team. Um, but I don't think Jimmy ever saw it that way. I think Jimmy always wanted to be the star. He always wanted to have a thumb on me as to what I could or could not do. And I also found out from uh, two wrestlers, one, one that he used to manage, one that he worked with. He told them that he paid all of my hospital bills and put me into this home. That never fucking happened. And I'm dying to see any receipt he's got. That, that shows that he paid my hospital bills. And, and the reason I can tell you that he didn't, I'm covered by passport insurance. Passport pays everything. Wow. There's nothing for him to pay. He did buy me. Uh, he came to see me at the hospital once and bought me some shoes. I'm uh, not shoes, uh, but a couple of shirts and a couple of pairs of shorts. So I'd have some fresh clothes at the hospital. He bought me some Clarksville seafood and he bought me a sub sandwich once. Uh, that's what Jimmy bought me. He did not pay. He did not set me up in this house and he did not pay any hospital bills, but he told two wrestlers exactly the same story. One that he used to work with one that he used to manage. And they both told me exactly the same story. Well, why aren't you more grateful to Jimmy, man? He paid your hospital bill. I was, Oh, really? <laughs> well, I can uh, do it. Do I have my card near me? Do I have it? It's called, it's called passport insurance. I probably got it in here somewhere. See if I can find it. It's called passport insurance. There it is. That's that's a that's a passport insurance card, people. I know it's glaring; you can't see it. Yeah, but that pays for anything medical. Yeah, that pays for anything medically that I need. I've had that card since two thousand nine. Wow. And uh, no, Jimmy did not pay my fucking hospital bills. Do you think, man, that he'll ever like? I know it's because I can probably thing. say no, and I don't even have to let you finish the question. You, already, Go you ahead. know where I'm going. Yeah, I already know where you're going. I'm, see, I'm like also that. a mind reader. You didn't know that, did you? I mean, how long can you be so angry? Bitter? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. man. Well, at what I point don't know. Do you give it away, man? 
I don't know, my uh, my childhood best friend died uh, a couple of days ago from complications of COVID. Um, he'd been in the hospital for about two months. He was an anti-vaxxer. He did not want to get a shot. From what I've been told, uh, my, my brother told me that, no, there's no way Bobby got a shot. And uh, he's 59 or 60 years old. He's pretty close to my age. And, um, and he'd been in the hospital for about two months. And then somehow he fractured his back. And uh, between the two months of COVID, a fractured back, he developed a blood clot while he was in the hospital. Probably not from having a lot of uh, movement, though that'll do it. And, uh, and he died. A blood clot went to his heart a couple of days ago. And I'd known him. And, and Jimmy, uh, Bobby helped me and Jimmy helped me move Jimmy to Nashville when he got his first job in, uh, in, uh, Memphis. And, uh, we set, we set Jimmy up in Nashville and I told that story just on my show the other night. So if you want to hear that whole story, watch the last show I did other than today. And, and we told that story. Um, but man, life is too short. And he, even when Bobby Eaton passed away and I'm still furious at Jimmy for the shit. And, uh, and I know he's furious because my son told some shit on him, but he was going to sue a wrestler. Uh, and threatened to take everything he owned him and his Stephen P knew. Um, and he was going to take this guy's livelihood and the kid was telling the truth. And my son knew he was telling the truth. And he said, no, dad, we got to do a podcast. I got to set the record straight. They're not going to do that. And if they want to subpoena us and call us liars, we, we will have subpoena power. We can have people come to court. Stephen P knew wants to threaten us. Let him fucking threaten us. Uh, that that's been a couple three years ago. Ain't nobody fucking sued us yet. If they do, we're more than willing to go to court. I got people already said, send me a subpoena. You know, you don't have to send me a subpoena. I'll come. But if I need to be subpoenaed, I'll come to court and testify. And they will, they will rue the fact that happened. So um, we'll see if they ever want to do that. And I'm happy to go to court if they want to. Been three years. Ain't nobody took us to court yet. So, and if they do, that'll be some interesting shit. And we'll have all kinds of stuff to reveal if that ever happens. I understand. So we will see. Well, Kitty, the next segment, let's change it up a little bit. It's called Book Yourself. Now, Kitty, mm -hmm. you still got a lot of fire in your system, man. I can tell by talking a little bit. to you. But if it was to take Kitty... Wish, wish my knee, I wish my knees had some of that fire. Oh, that would man. change a lot of shit, but go ahead. But if it was to put yourself right now, star maker, king, Kenny Bowling, anywhere mm -hmm. in the business, whether it be AEW, whether it be WWE Impact, or something in the past, if you could take you right now and place yourself, where would you be? What would you do, man? What would you book yourself? WWE should be my home because that's the product that I knew the best. And, uh, but when you don't have room to have Jerry Lawler doing pod, uh, having a uh, new commentary every week, something's fucked up. Jim Ross needs to be at WWE. You do not need Tony Schiavone and Jim Ross and the mask guy. What's his name? Uh, uh, Excalibur. 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 Yeah. Excalibur is very good. I don't get the mask gimmick. He doesn't need the mask uh, unless he's always had it like a Rey Mysterio. But hell, Rey Mysterio worked with us in OVW with no mask. Everybody knows what he looks like. Yeah. Uh, he put out he put out publicity pictures with no mask. So everybody knows what Rey looks like. Uh, I don't know what Excalibur looks like, but you listen to him. He's a very good play-by-play -play style announcer. Uh, I don't know about color. I don't know about a color announcer. I think the best color announcers, and I, I'll put myself in there. When I was at OVW, I thought I was a pretty damn good color announcer because I didn't do it exactly like everybody else did. And 90% uh, of the time I was putting over the heels, but you have to mix that up. And every now and then put those baby faces over a little bit 
but maybe in a different way to where you're concerned about how good that baby face is or something similar to that. So I thought I was pretty good. Lawler was pretty good. Jesse Ventura was the fucking best as, as color commentator. Bobby fucking Heenan, who I got to work with one time. It's on, it's on, uh, if you're, if, as a matter of fact, if you're a member of my show, that's one of the videos you can see is the Bobby Heenan video that we did together at OVW. And he was, he was the absolute best. There was no manager ever better than Bobby Heenan. What I think it takes to be a real good manager is a, a quick wit, which I, I think to this day, even at 62 ain't bad. It ain't what it was, but I don't do too bad. You normally can fire something at me. I can fire it back. Uh, I might've been better 15, 20 years ago. I don't know. Shit. Um, I have just as much fun doing that shit today as I did then, but, and, and Jimmy Cornette is, and Jerry Lawler, both are the king of reciting. Uh, they both have studied joke books and gimmick books and they, and they learn shit from other territories and promotions. And Jerry will admit his memory's not that good, but boy, he can sure remember a joke book. And he, and he admits uh, that, that he used to study joke books. And that's where all of his one-liners come from. Well, I kind of make most of my shit up because uh, I like to say shit that no one's ever heard. And if I do say something's been heard, I like to credit where I got it from. You know, well, as so-and-so used to say, you know, and then I would, you know, if it were Heenan that said it, I'd give him credit. Uh, but I had a, a show I did with Bill after, if you want to talk about shitting on Cornette, and we were best friends then. And I said, name me, I said, y'all want to refer to Cornette as a legend, as, as, as this legend of managers name me the one idea name me the one thing that jimmy ever booked and i'll tell you who booked it first and who did it better so me and bill after are going back and forth and we name five six seven segments that they think jimmy booked first and every time no no he didn't so now one of the fans chimes in and they think they got me jimmy booked the first ever scaffold match i said you fucking idiot no he didn't no he didn't i said bill after do you know who did the first scaffold match and even bill didn't remember or he just didn't know I said, the first day, it wasn't Cornette. I said, and I'll tell you who did it. And as I did with everything else, I'll tell you who did it better. Do you think Cornette made the first popcorn gimmick where you set it ringside with fucking popcorn and Coke? <laughs> I said, it's been done in every goddamn territory he's been in. I said, he recycles that goddamn thing every six months. No, it's not original. He does it every fucking time. And he stole it from somebody else down in fucking Texas or Oklahoma or somewhere. I uh, said, but when it comes to the scaffold match, the first one that ever did it, was Jerry Jarrett and, and Don Green. Not Al Green, but Don Green. And they had the first one. And to my best of my recollection, because I think Jerry Jarrett told me this, we only did that in the Louisville Gardens because it's a shitty match. Neither of us want to be up there. Both of us are scared shitless of falling. There's not much you can do. And we only did it in Louisville. We decided it wouldn't work doing this in Evansville, Lexington, Memphis, Tupelo, all the various cities of that circuit. And he, and, and so to Jerry's recollection, they only did it in Louisville, why they didn't do it in Memphis. I'll never know. Um, I would have figured that, but, but I I think they realized it's a shitty match. And I said, and why they did it better. Neither one of them blew their fucking knees out and had to miss eight weeks <laughs> of wrestling. And then, and then Russo piled on that. He said, yeah, he says Cornette blew his knees out like a fucking Mark that didn't know how to work. Now he didn't say fucking, but I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, but he says, yeah, like a, like a Mark, Jimmy blew his knees out because he didn't know how to take a bump. And then Jimmy blamed, um, oh God, who was the big guy with the hat? Uh, he, he's not with us anymore either. Uh, uh, Dusty Rose busted a chair over his head once and the guy's hat stayed on. Uh, big Bubba. Yeah, 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 yeah. Big Bubba. 
and uh and what was the prison what was the what was the prison gimmick he did with wwe was he big bubba rogers then as well he was big boss man in wwe big boss man big boss man so big boss man was big bubba then and i remember one i remember one bit where dusty Rhodes hit because because big big bubba come out to save the day yeah for the heels and Dusty Rose picks up a wooden chair and bashes it over Big Bubba's head and his hat and glasses stayed on. <laughs> his fucking hat and glasses stayed on with a busted chair all wrapped around his neck. And he just stood there like, you stupid fuck. <laughs> you just tried to hit me with a goddamn chair. And, uh, and it was one of the funniest bits I ever saw. And that was when Cornette was down there. And uh, But he, he blamed Bubba because he said Bubba was supposed to catch him. And Bubba didn't. So when Jimmy blew his knees out, and I knew he couldn't work for the next six to eight, maybe 12 weeks. I said, Jimmy, this is it. Your, your, your old buddy takes over. And everybody in Atlanta knew me. They, they knew how tight me and Jimmy were. They knew I knew everything about them. I said, this is where I step in. Let me manage the boys. And, I, and I'm going to put my, I'm an atheist, but I will put my hand to whatever it is you believe in when I tell you what Jimmy told me, why I couldn't do that. Uh-oh. I said, I'll step in. I'll manage the boys. And eventually you're going to get better. And when you come back, okay, Kenny, thanks a lot, man. Y'all did a great job. Glad you still got the belts if we had them. And if we didn't, uh, well, Kenny, you didn't quite, you know, you lost the belts and you don't have them back. But, hey, I'm here. I'll, I'll take over. And, uh, well, Jimmy, not, not so quick. Um, Bobby, Stan or Dennis, whoever it was at that time, um, would you all like to go back and work with Jimmy? And they just shake their head no and then jimmy's forced now to go get a new tag team me and jimmy feud we got a built-in fucking feud bobby and dennis or bobby and stan whatever the case they don't want to go i think i think it was bobby and stan by then i think it was and uh, well they they don't want to go you know they're they're, they realize life's a lot better here with me they actually make more money now they actually get to use their own minds now they get to eat what they want now they don't have to always go to fucking Wendy's. They don't have to always drink whoa, Sprite. Whoa, whoa, whoa. This is a shoot? You're talking? This yeah, is a, yeah. Seriously? Well, that, 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 those are the best promos is when you turn yeah, it into a shoot. Yeah. And then the fans wow. hear that. Oh, my God. It's a shoot. He does eat at Wendy's all the time. He does drink nothing but Sprite. It's a goddamn shoot. And, and Lawler taught me that. He said, all it takes is one little piece of truth to where they'll yeah. believe everything you said. And me and Dundee were the kings of that. All it takes is, and, and Jerry Jarrett will tell you the same thing. It just, you got to work a little bit of truth into it. And cause then the other 99 things you say are true too. Well, all that's true because what he just said, there's true. And that was the mentality of wrestling back then. Always working a little truth to where the fans know, Oh, Oh, this shit's real. Now he just called him out on Wendy's and Sprite, you know, or whatever. Um, and if you knew something from their past that wasn't flattering, bring that up too. That was done all the time on Memphis television to bring up some part of people's past. Uh, a lot of wrestlers used to try and call Jerry Lawler a pedophile because he liked young girls. So they would work that into the shoots. I remember I was at a show once with Terry Funk. He's in the ring and, and me and Dundee and Cornette are there as fans. We're not there doing autographs. We're not there setting up picture tape. We went there as fans to see Jerry Lawler wrestle Terry Funk, supposedly for the last time five years ago in, in Jackson, Tennessee. And we were guests of Burt Prentice. Uh, another one we lost not too long ago, who I loved was such a good man to me. And, uh, and he set me up to meet Lance Russell and Dave Brown for the first time that night. I'd met Lance briefly, but we'd never had a talk. And he gave me some private time for about 30 minutes with Lance and Dave before the show started. And, uh, and a friend of mine took us down there in a limousine that Jimmy hated, 
Okay, it was a shitty limousine, <laughs> but uh, we went down there in that shitty limousine. Jimmy had to ride backwards all the way, and the, the air conditioning was bad. And Jimmy likes to sit by the window, and I didn't let him because I took the window. And it was just a limo ride from hell for Jimmy, and I knew he was being tortured, but it was a way for me to get back for a lot of other shit. So, um, but Terry fucking Lawler's in the ring, and they do 12 minutes of nothing. They're just, you know, because that's what they can do. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. know how to work. You can go you can go out there and do 12, 15 minutes, nothing, and the crowd's eating it up. And then Lawler finally gets a slap in on him or something or whatever he did or pulled fucking, Lawler, you pervert, as loud as he could yell. <laughs> and Dundee spits out his drink. Cornette's looking like, did he just call Lawler a fucking pervert? And Dundee says, I didn't know that you going to make it a shoot. Oh, man. <laughs> and I'm dying. My son's dying. Cornette's howling. And uh, and then Dundee spit his drink out. I didn't know they were gonna make it a shoot. Oh, <laughs> and uh, none of us were. I don't even know if Lawler was looking for it, but uh, you know, and, and and I like young girls too. I've just always made sure they were fucking 18, 19, or twenty years old. I like young girls, uh, and if they're goofy enough to like me, shit, don't penalize me for it. As long as hey. <laughs> but but the thing is, make sure they're fucking legal. That part. That part. Yeah, that yeah, part. Yeah. Have, have some valid ID on you there, if you don't mind. So uh, that, that was a fun show to, to be a part of. And uh, Terry Funk has always been good to me. He, he's a good guy. Nice, man. Well, we're going to slide away from the R. Kelly part of the section. I'm just joking. <laughs> Nobody peed on anybody that night that I know of. That I know of. I don't know what happened down in the locker room. But Lawler Lawler did set Funk on fire that night, and I heard Funk in the locker room. That son of a bitch set me on fire, <laughs> and that was after the match was over. He's already in the locker room, and he's pissed oh, at Lawler. Set him on. So maybe somebody pissed on um, Terry <laughs> Funk to put the fire out. I don't know. Oh, I wasn't there. Oh, could have happened. It could have been an R. Kelly moment to put the fire out. All right, Michael Lamore wrote a song about it. You know, R. Kelly. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Are you talking about? You didn't expect this? to have Mike Lamore and R. Kelly talked about tonight. Not at all, baby. Let's go. But okay, so you talking? I told about you guys. I know every. I told you I, I know everything. And I told you keep going. I love it. But man, like since you're talking about putting realism into the storylines and the and the promos, oh, yeah. what do you think about the current wrestling? And the do you think the guys come across with enough passion, man, and believability? I tell, I tell you what. I tell you what. There, there's a lot of them that don't. There's a lot of it that it is just so fucking scripted, especially with WWE, because they're big on the script and sticking to the script. But what I have noticed, I've seen some interviews recently with CM Punk and uh, MJF to where they use the real shit and me and even me and Chris that they're in pop going, Ooh, goddamn, Can't believe he said that because we know it's true. Yeah. And, uh, and I forget the specifics, but there's many times they'll say, it's like, Ooh, I can't believe he said that, you know, cause that, that's like Memphis wrestling there. They're, they're working at real shit in, but that's when the smart marks pop because now they think they're in on it and they, Oh, Oh, that was real right there. And they don't realize that they're using that to work the marks. Yeah. And, but that, that's why it's done. And me and Cornette were masters of that. We knew how to pull each other's trigger. I knew everything about Jimmy. Jimmy pretty much knew everything about me. And he had free reign to get me at anything he wanted. And I'd go along with it. Uh, many times Jimmy wasn't too thrilled when I would shoot on him. Because <laughs> his, his, his truth, he was not as fond of as he was 
needling me over the, the Kroger meat scam or stabbing my mother <laughs> in the back, kicking my mother out to get rent from an Australian girl, shit like oh, that. Oh my god. Oh. Little pieces, little pieces of truth, but for sure. <laughs> but, but for the sake of the show, you gotta go along with it. Uh, I, exactly. Exactly. Hey, mom was mom was six months behind on her rent, motherfucker. What was I supposed to do? <laughs> what the fuck was I supposed? The Australian had a grand in hand. Mama had food stamps. Yo, fans. Somebody had to go. Y'all, what would y'all, you have done? What you done, Jimmy? You'd let mom stay. Y'all hearing this, man? Listen, listen. I'm giving. This is just a, a snippet of what you get on his podcast all the time. Kenny, I want you to really tell these people. I know they all know about it, but let's say they don't. Why right. they should? Let's, get... let's say these dumb fucks don't know. Shit. Right. Let's tell them that. why they should watch your podcast and then why they should join the Patreon, man. Come on. Uh, well, with the Patreon, I haven't really promoted as much. I think we're going to try to get that rolling again. Uh, we got a little bit we've, we've done over there. But now that we're monetized on YouTube, I demonetize my YouTube. So you don't have to pay the $14, $17 for YouTube premium. So you don't get 31 commercials during my shows. But to make up for that, we ask you to become a member. If you enjoy the shows, become a member. Uh, you can get memberships for $2.99, $6.99, $24.99, $49.99, which is the money mark. And then the Brian Last Stooge Memorial, to where if you buy that, you can say anything to me you want and you won't get blocked. And uh, we've actually had a couple of people buy that. But two chicken shit do bow up on me to get the maximum of their $99. They just pay the 99 to say they got it. So, uh, but that's the Brian Last Place Stooge Memorial for 99 bucks. We've only had a couple of people get it. We've had a few money marks uh, that pay the 49 a month and uh, they get some special shit too. It's all listed in there. Uh, but the most popular is Mid Carter. You get some special videos and I'm going to start reading from my book. You know, I'm an author as well. You know, I've been in a movie. Ultimate Deathmatch 2. I was the star of that movie. I'm all over the cover. I was the big star of the whole goddamn thing. Wouldn't a, wouldn't a, this is my book. I probably screwed you too. And that is actually my head on Lawler's body, and Lawler never knew it. You, you, you <laughs> he, gotta, you to send me a copy of that, right? He thought I had, well, for $29.95, you're goddamn right. <laughs> all right, and, brother. I got you. And, and uh, <laughs> but yeah, that, that, that's my head on Lawler's body, and Lawler never knew it. He thought that that was my robe and my crown. That's his crown and his robe and my head. But this one, this one, I told you his memory wasn't good. This one's all me. Uh, that's uh, the pink version. I've got six different versions of this cover. And that is me made to look like Bret Hart on the back. And I was 19 years old in that, in that picture. I know it's hard to see. But if you buy the book, you can see it. Yeah, yeah. And that's me made to look like Bret Hart. I figured the pink cover had to have some Bret Hart on it. So uh, that, that's a couple of copies I got left. I sell these signed for $29.95. I put a couple little extras in there, a bowling alley badge. I send out my personal business card with it. So that way you're a card carrying member of the bowling club, which uh, the, the business card looks like this shirt. And um, yeah, if, if you will donate to my charity, at least $29.95, the price of the book, I will be more than happy to send you a copy of the book. Just write in my inbox, give me your address and everything. I'll take care of it. Sounds great, man. Matter of fact, won't you donate twenty nine hundred dollars, and I'll send you two copies. <laughs> this man already told you at the beginning of the show he can sell water to a whale. Think God about damn it. Right. Told what, you that, whales man. need water. Whales. Yeah. Do you know how much water a whale needs? He might not have enough. I got a couple extra gallons for him. Exactly. Man. And Eskimos sometimes need ice. The ice they got might be dirty. I got the clean ice. Listen. 
Y'all, I, y'all didn't know what y'all was going to get from this show today. I could sell Vaseline <laughs> to a Memphis wrestler. <laughs> On that note, we go get ready to close out. Bolden, please don't leave when I say it's over. I got to need you for one more second. But well, well, we we, 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 well, we also have to plug how, how to find me now on social oh, media. Oh, oh, oh I was going there. On Nobody social media, it, everything is Star Maker Bowling. Instagram, Star Maker Bowling. Facebook, Star Maker Bowling. Forward slash Star. Twitter, at Star Maker Bowling. B O L I N, not B O W L I N, not Bowen, not Bowling. Bowling, motherfuckers. Bowling. B O L I N. And if you want to watch the Bowling Alley, I do live shows from at 9.05 p.m. most night, on Tuesdays, Thursdays. And then occasionally we sneak in a Sunday show as well. So normally you get three live shows a week. That's 12 shows a month for you motherfuckers that don't know how to multiply and do math. 12 live interactive shows a month. Who else that has managed 54 stars of the WWE gives you live interactive programming and demonetizes the show. So if you're not able to watch it live, maybe you got a job or something, not most of you, uh, you can actually uh, watch the recorded version and not have to watch all those commercials. And you better do it before I change my mind and start monetizing the shows again. But if you be a member and if you donate, I'll hold off on that. Y'all heard him. I mean, y'all. Heard I him. call the shots, motherfuckers. I call the shots. You, you heard it. It's not even a whip show right now. It's the bowling alley. You heard that. Bowling alley. It's bowling alley East right now. What, what what state are you in? Where are you? Looking? I am. I am in Michigan, man. Uh, Michigan Mike, one of my top donors on my show. I bet he knows about your show, Michigan Mike. He's one of the donors on my show. He's getting a big check cut to him tonight. Uh, a tornado, y'all had some tornadoes up here, did some damage yeah. to his car. Yeah, yeah. What, what city you in? I, well, I'm on a suburb of Detroit called Dearborn. I know I'm where in, Dearborn is. Yeah, 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 that's where the that's where the Detroit Pistons play or used to play. Yeah, they used to play out this way. Yep, yep they used yep. to. They're not there no more though, right? No, 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 no. They're, Dearborn, I remember that. They were there when uh, fucking uh, the worm was there. Yep, yep, the worm. Yep. Bad Bill boys. Bill Beer. Bill Lamb Beer. 88, 89, 90. You ain't kidding, big, man. Big, big, tough white fuck. Woo. And I'll tell you, I got a funny story about him. I was like nine years old. I met him at the airport. And he beat you up at the airport. Basically, I'm going to tell you, I'm a nine-year-old kid. I never right. seen a mean white dude look so serious in my life, man. I, I, I don't think I wanted to fuck with Bill Lambeer I or say, Dennis Rodman, to be honest with you. I say, hi, Mr. Lambeer. When I tell you that man looked at me so crazy, I just walked away. I you thought he was a heel wrestler, I guess. Man, so why man. would he treat a nine-year-old kid like that? I don't know. Not even I can shit on a nine-year-old. I, was not, I, I remember it like it was yesterday, man. I bet you do. <laughs> I bet, yeah, I remember, Bill. Do you remember when Dennis Rodman kicked the cameraman because it got too close to him? Oh, yeah. You believe as he kicked the fucking cameraman. <laughs> Man, at that point, now, well, I forgot what his fine. I forgot what his fines were and how long they. I, I want to say they gave him 50 k. I want to say it was fifty thousand. How many games did he get suspended? At least three or four, wasn't it? I want to say it was three. He kicked a fucking cameraman, guys. The worm because, because with, as, you, with as, Detroit. as you know, just like in wrestling, though, when you make a lot of money, you can kind of get away with things you a little bit it. more. Than- well, you, you know what Mark Cuban does. Mark Cuban's a dear friend of mine. You 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 probably looked up the YouTube video, and if you haven't, you got something to do tonight. Look up Kenny Bolin, John Cena, Mark Cuban. Look it up on YouTube, and if you want to see how what a great wrestler I am, and I know you do. Uh, YouTube search Kenny Bolin versus John Cena, and I won't tell you stupid fucks who won the match. I'll just let you watch it and see. Sean O'Hare, special referee, against my will, because Sean had been kind of kissing Cena's ass, and I didn't really want Sean as the referee for that match. 
but he is the referee. And even with the hand chosen referee of Sean O'Hare, John Cena's match didn't go exactly the way he thought it was going to go. And it was a shoot, by the way. All my matches were real. I don't know if y'all knew that or not. You heard this. The Never man, everything around. is real. Everything is Every real. Everyone of them. Yeah, the no, nobody, nobody fucks with me in real life. See, why you brought, see, now you, you brought up Lambert. You made me think of a story. Now you made me remember my story about Mark Cuban. I used go, to do go sec- ahead. I used to do security. I'm always up for a story about Mark Cuban. He's my buddy. I used to do security in Birmingham. Back in the day, all the away teams. My first ever pro match was in Birmingham. And they stayed in this hotel. Got t- we got ties. We got ties. And, and so he's in the bathroom. I go in there and everybody knows it's him. And they ask Wait a minute. Mark, Mark Cuban's in the bathroom? Yes, yes. So yeah. they ask me. Bur- Wait a minute. Why is Mark Cuban oh, in no, Birmingham? No, 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 no. No, no, no. Not Birmingham, Alabama. Birmingham, Michigan. I'm sorry. Yeah, oh, well, that's two yeah. fucking different yeah, yeah, places. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, I was getting ahead of myself. So yeah. he's in the restroom. Keep I the just- fuck out of Birmingham, Alabama. <laughs> I'll pass that on to you right now. Hey, I still know, baby. So in town, it's called the Townsend Hotel. All the away NBA teams stayed there. I'm doing okay. security, so they asked me to make sure nobody goes in the bathroom with him. Well, I'm standing there, but it was somebody in the toilet. I didn't know it's before I cleared out the bathroom. Mark okay. Cuban is standing at the stall. The guy says, hey, Mark Cuban. So I go in there, turn around. Oh, he says, thank you for getting the guy out there. He goes to shake my hand. He hasn't, yeah. washed, he hasn't washed his hand yet, though. His hand he yet. just okay. touched his, part, his little Cuban, man. Well, <laughs> it might not be that little a Cuban. Okay. None of us were in there. Might have been a big Cuban. But I'm saying, we don't I'm know. Like, uh, Mark's not going to appreciate you telling everybody he had a little Cuban. He's not going to appreciate it. Now no, I'm going to tell him, too. Don't tell him I said, said. that. Don't... You oh. said you had a little Cuban, Mark. What do you know about that? <laughs> did you piss on your hand and shake my buddy's hand? Is that what you did? <laughs> Deshaun Whipple, did you piss on? Did you basically piss on Deshaun Whipple's hand? I want to know the truth. Hey, he tried to R. Kelly me, man. All right, he tried enough. to R. Kelly. No wonder you're so concerned about R. Kelly. That's it. That's Mark it. Cuban tried to pee on you, apparently. On that note, allegedly, allegedly, we must say. On that, on that note, Kitty. Okay, it's time for the, the bowling segment. alley, folks. If you want to see more of this shit, the bowling alley. Just Google it. Get the get your Google machine. Even you stupid fucking Republicans, oh, just get man. your Google machine. It's easy to figure out. So there ain't no Republicans in Michigan, are they? They ran them all out up there. Didn't man, you? what? Do you know tried to hang the fuck? Tried to hang the fucking governor up right, there. Right, right. Do you know they let they let those people off? I heard. They let them. I, I said, my God. Well, well you know, Trump wanted Trump wanted to give them medals. Yeah, and listen, before they rushed uh, the Capitol January sixth, they yeah. did it in Lansing, Michigan, which is they, our state capital. Before they then, they man. They basically did. They, so they Trump they already. They already had a blueprint of how they were going to do it because they rushed yeah. our capital, man. Yeah, that was a test run up there in yeah, Lansing. Michigan. Yeah, and that's what we found. Now, yeah. Lansing, that's where Michigan State plays, right? Yes, yes, yes. That's where Michigan and State And Ann Arbor is where the Wolverines play. Are you, are you a Michigan State guy or Wolverine? I am a Michigan State guy. I actually went to Michigan State. Did you really? Yes, I went to Michigan State, yeah. Well, you know who I'm loyal to at Michigan State. When my son was born in 1987, your biggest star, I told you what my real name was at the beginning of the show, mm-hmm. or not my real name. My name was Kenny Bad Moon Rising. You all had Andre Rising. Yes. He played for Michigan State in 1987, the year my son was born. Okay. Okay, yeah. And, and he was known also as Bad Moon Rising and went on to be a big star with the Atlanta Falcons. Mm-hmm. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Hey, man, I told you I know everything. You ain't I, I, I see, man. I see. Man. Well, with that the worm, Bill Ambeer, Bad Moon Rising, I know all of them. 
Have you watched? Have you watched this? Speaking of, since you're talking about uh, Michigan State, did you watch Winning Time? Yet? As, ma- as a matter of the fact, I show? ran o- I, as a matter of fact, I once ran over Barry Sanders at a game in Detroit. I don't know if you knew that or not. Oh my god! Just ran right over him. He tried to play defensive back. It didn't work out good for Barry. He had to retire not long after that. I Barry told Sanders y'all earlier. Bo I Jackson. wanted Barry. I wanted Barry to leave there and be a Miami Dolphin because he retired when he was like twenty-five. Right? <laughs> how old he was? He said, "I'm not going to go to the Dolphins," but he I'm quit. I mean, he stayed. Who, who's your team? Who's your team? Miami Dolphins. Oh, you're okay. Yeah, I was raised in Florida for the most Whoa. of my life. There were there were no Tampa Bay Buccaneers then. So wait I hate, a minute. I hate fucking Tom Brady with a passion. It's so your fault. Of... It's your fault. The Lions are so bad. You gave us Joey Harrington. <laughs> <laughs> that was, Don't think I forgot about that. You that's gave us man. Well, we also gave Tennessee their quarterback, and they went to the fucking playoffs. <laughs> Hell yeah. yeah. They got deep in the play. We gave them their quarterback, too. So. Oh, my God. You know what? Earlier today, you said you weren't feeling too hot. I hope you're having a good time today, man. <laughs> well, you brought so much energy, man. You pumped me up. I, you saw me, man. I come in here a little deflated, a little down, car problems, motorcycle problems personal problems just, i get it i get I try, it i try not to let that shit bother me but goddamn the last three my best friend dies from high school yeah. it's been three or four days from hell but no you pumped me up man you got me going I'm glad. i play i play i, I was only going to give you a 10 minute show i was going to fuck oh, you over but I, I, I ended up staying for 90 minutes it looks like <laughs> Well, it's good because I threw all my, my index cards away. I was going off the top like you were, man. I said, don't like, ever, don't ever bring an index card to a show with me because you're just wasting ink. You're just wasting ink if you bring an index card with me. All right, man. And I love it when people schedule me for 30 minute shows. I say, you stupid fuck. Do you really think you're going to get rid of me in 30 minutes? Really? Oh, if I'm here, we're gonna we'll leave when I fucking say we leave. As you should, as you should. I ain't even got control of the buttons, but yet here we are. We're still here. You're the king. You're the king. I'm, and the star maker. Oh man, star maker. I want you to ring the bell. That's our final segment. That's How do I where ring I give you. What I got to do? I, I'm gonna tell you. You know That's what? what I, I let me give you my version. We'll see how close I am. I remember. I think Richard Pryor said it once. Ding, ding, motherfucker. Basically, is you got sixty is? seconds. Now you can talk about anything. You can talk. You can promote yourself again. You can mm-hmm. give some inspirational words. You can tell me what you ate this morning. I don't care. But Star Maker, Kenny. King Bowling, I want you to ring the bell. Well, what I had for breakfast, I had a bowl of spaghetti, you jackasses. I had spaghetti at 9.30 fucking 5 this morning. I went from there and I had a ham and cheese sandwich at 12 noon. I went from there and had some uh, some leftover chicken from a local restaurant that I had chicken at. So there's my there's my my feet. I had a little cottage cheese. I had a little cottage cheese. I had a little celery. I ate like a fucking bunny rabbit there for a while. And then I played with my dogs. And then I uh, went uh, did a little grocery shopping. And uh, by the way, did I mention that I have this uh, great book for sale? $29.95 shipped to your door, motherfuckers. Get your book. Sign it. I'll sign it for you. Like a good, and hey, if I die eventually, and eventually I will, so I've been told, uh, the, the book will be worth more. And uh, check out my podcast, The Bowling Alley. Just Google search The Bowling Alley. You'll have a blast, I promise you. Unless you're one of those stupid fucking Trump supporters and you're going to have a miserable time because I'm going to tell you how fucking stupid you are and how ignorant you are and how racist you are and what a stupid fuck you are and how much fun could that possibly be for anybody? I said, good day. Y'all heard it.
y'all, it's nothing else for me to say. So with that being said, I'm going to get on out of here. You know what to do. Watch it. Share it. Uh, uh, tweet it. Everything you do. Whatever y'all do on Instagram with y'all fingers when y'all not doing that nasty stuff in the bathroom with your hands. Just do it with the show. So I'm out of here. Don't be like Mark Cuban. Wash your fucking hands. <laughs> Bitches. We'll see y'all next time. I am Deshaun. Whip Dog Whipple, and I am here with the Star Maker King Kitty Bowling. And I will see you next time on the Wrestling Heroes and It's the Hottest Podcast, aka The Whip Show. Take care, guys. Bye, bitches. <laughs> <laughs>